Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, we will be there in just a moment and add my welcome to you all. Thank you all for being here. It's good to be together on the Lord's Day to encourage one another to lift up our voices and Sing praises to our God. It's such a, an honor and a privilege to be able to do so. Thank you all for being here, coming our way this morning. This weekend, uh, if you don't know, uh, there's several, a couple of at least, religious holidays that are happening this weekend. This is the weekend of the Passover that's uh, celebrated for those who hold to the Jewish faith. This is also the weekend of Easter, where many in the religious world hold to uh, the celebration of Easter, which sometimes falls on the same day as Passover, the same time as Passover, and sometimes not. We'll talk about that as we're going forward. But this morning I wanted to talk about and focus on the idea of the Passover. And we, I gave this lesson, or a lesson very similar to this, a couple of years ago. We, some of the very same points I made last time I gave this, I'm going to make again this morning, because I think they're important to hear. And I think it's important for us as Christians to make sure that we are following God's Word, and make sure we fully understand God's Word, and make sure that we are following it and not the traditions of men. It's very important for us to be able to do so. This lesson serves another purpose. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at uh, the taking of the Lord's Supper in our series on highest and best, which is a series of lessons where we're looking at how we best serve God. What is the highest uh, that we can give God? And so next week we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper. So this week kind of serves as a, uh, a precursor to that, if you will, and looking at the Passover and the sacrifices uh, that were made and the sacrifice of our Lord, which is ultimately where this lesson will point. So this morning... I want to look, uh, take a look at the Passover, and the image there that you're seeing is uh, from what we read there in chapter 12 of Exodus about what the children of Israel were to do as they are getting ready to come out of the land of Egypt, uh, this last plague which will beset the land there, the, the plague of the death of the firstborn. God gives his children instructions to put some blood on the doorposts and on the lintel over the door in order to... Uh, stave off this destruction that was coming to the rest of Egypt, where the, the destroyer would come and would destroy all the firstborn of the household. But if this blood was on the doorpost and on the lintel, then God would relent and would not destroy the firstborn of that household. So that's where that comes from. And if we look at uh, the Passover and, and understand there's some things about it um, that are very important, and we're going to start, obviously, in the Old Testament looking at the Passover, and let's understand this, that the Passover, along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the beginning of the week here that would be celebrated, the week of uh, the, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, is the oldest observance in the Jewish faith. And we can see it right here in, in Exodus chapter 12. This is something that, that is instituted before the Law of Moses even came into effect. This is where this, the roots of the Passover are, are here with um, the exodus from Egypt. Notice that it says there in chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. 
it is the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for themselves, according to their fathers and households, and a lamb for each household. And if you come down to verse 6, it says, And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation, uh, congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So this is the beginning of the, of the Passover. And it was a very specific date. God said, This is the first month for you, which is Nisan, or Nisan, which is, corresponds roughly to our April. And it was to be done on the 14th day of that month. This is when the Passover was to take place. So it was very specific in the date in which it was to take place. They, uh, this uh, celebration marked the exodus out of Egypt. If you look over there in verse 42 of chapter 12, it says, It is a night to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generation. So this marked the exodus out of Egypt. Remember, they were in bondage in Egypt, and God said, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. And it's going to take these ten plagues in order for Pharaoh to relent, to release them. But they would eventually release them, and they would make their way out of Egypt, out of bondage. And as we've met, as we've said and read again, this was to be kept in perpetuity. It was to be kept through all their generations. This is under the, will be, become under the law of Moses, and it was to be kept as long as the law of Moses was in place throughout all their generations. Um, and as we've mentioned also, the Passover marked the beginning of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. You can read there verses 17 through 20. This was the, the feast days um, that were to be celebrated by the Jews. And it's also to, res, uh, to serve as that reminder of the Exodus. It's not just that this is a time to get together and, uh, and come together for feasting and for, to be uh, together as God's children, but it, was a, it had a purpose. It was to remind them of the Exodus. It was to remind them of the night that they came out of bondage in Egypt. So it served that purpose as a reminder. So it marked a very important event in the history of the Jewish people. The Passover and the feasts were to be celebrated on a very specific date every year throughout all their generations. Specific date. It's very important to understand that. And as the New Testament opens, we see that it's still being celebrated. Um, we see there at the end of the Lord's life that, that those are the times during the Passover that, that are taking place there as Jesus is, is going forward and, and going to be crucified. Those, that's the time during the Passover. And as we'll look in a few minutes, even in Acts chapter 12, and Acts chapter 12 takes place several years after the day of Pentecost. And so even several years throughout, as we read to the book of Acts, they're still celebrating the Passover. Now understand, it's the Jews that are celebrating the Passover, but it is marked as a time reference. Luke uses that to help mark the time. And it's the Jews that are taking, taking, uh, taking or participating in that. So that they're keeping that throughout their generations. But as we'll make a point here, there was a time when that was to stop. So this is the, the, the beginning of the Passover. And as we said, it, it will be taken under uh, into the law of, of Moses and would be celebrated as one of the feast days and is very important for the children of Israel. 
Well, let's look now in the, of the Passover in the New Testament. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> As with many lessons uh, from God's Word, there's so much that can be said. The, 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 the struggle for preachers sometimes is to, is to pare down to what needs to be said in a reasonable amount of time. But I hope that this lesson will, will, will read well in understanding the point we're going to make here about the Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 and 8, it says, Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. For just as you are, in fact, unleavened, for Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul brings the Passover into a little bit clearer focus as to what it means to the Christian. Paul says that Christ is our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward. Paul says that Christ is our Passover. So what does the Passover mean to us today? What is Paul uh, saying here when he says that Jesus is our Passover? Well, let's consider a few things about the Passover lamb. Remember, we didn't read all those details over there in Exodus chapter 12, but they were to take a, a lamb, one year old, unspotted, unblemished, and that was the lamb that was to be sacrificed for the Passover feast. Well, let's talk about how that relates then to Jesus, because remember Paul says that Jesus is our Passover, so there must be some, some things here that we can, some parallel um, ideas about the Passover that we can see, and, and we can from Scripture. As we mentioned from Exodus chapter 12, it gives de details about the lamb that was to be sacrificed. In Exodus 12 and verse 5, the lamb was to come from their flocks. Notice this about Jesus. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see the parallel there? The Passover lamb was to come from their flocks. Where did our Lord come from? Our Lord came from among us. Not us in this room, but us as humans. Those in that first century, those who we read about there in the gospel and the, uh, the accounts there of our Lord, they got to see the Lord on the earth. And when he was hung on that cross, it was a man that was hung there. A man that had lived and worked and walked among them. A man that they were able to, as John says, to see and to hear and to touch. This was a, a lamb, if you will, that came from among us. It wasn't a foreigner. It wasn't someone that we placed in to serve as this lamb, not knowing anything. It was someone who was from among us. It makes it all the more poignant. The lamb was to be unblemished. It was not to be of the diseased or the spotted or anything like that from the flocks. It was to be unblemished. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 19 as Peter is talking about uh, the blood that saves us, he speaks of that blood, and he says, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless. He's speaking of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ comes from a Lamb that's unblemished, that's unspotted. 
And we know that Jesus Christ, of course, was that lamb, that unspotted, that unblemished lamb that was sacrificed for us. And indeed, he was sacrificed. He was killed. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it says, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's never lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. That he was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to be put to death in this terrible, shameful, humiliating way. Painful. But he was willing to do that. And he did that so that we might have salvation. The lamb is also spoken of as the saving blood. As the blood that saves. Remember, as they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, God would pass over that house and would thereby save them because of the blood that was on the doorpost. Similarly with Jesus, again in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of your inherited life from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, we cannot be saved. So just as that blood on those doorposts and the lentil saved those and the children of Israel as the, as the destroyer passed over that house, the blood of our Lord saves us from our sins. Also with the lamb, it says there in verse 46 of Exodus 12 that the bones of the lamb were not to be broken. Further, in Numbers 9 and verse 12, it says, They shall leave none of it until morning. This is speaking of the the Passover sacrifice. Nor break any of its bones. According to all the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. Something very interesting that takes place with our Lord as he's being crucified. In John's accounting in chapter 19, let's turn there. John chapter 19. Beginning in verse 31 of John 19, it says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. And he's speaking of those three men that were hanging on those crosses. You know, part of the main source of death, if you will, from hanging on a cross is asphyxiation. Asphyxiation. I got it. In other words, you just, the, the, the weight of your body pressing down causes you to asphyxiate. It's a very slow, a very painful death. But you can stave that off by supporting yourself with your legs. So the way to facilitate, to speed up the death is to come by and break the legs of those men that were hanging on the cross. And so the soldiers did that, but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and so they didn't break his bones. And in verse 36, it says, For these things came to pass to fulfill Scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. Down to very minute details, isn't it? Very fine details about how prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament. Here's a very fine detail about the Passover lamb, that the, the, no bones of the lamb were to be broken. As we see there with our Lord, that holds true as well. His legs weren't broken. This Passover lamb, his bones weren't broken. 
as he hung there on the cross. So, that's a lot to be said about the Passover, and as I've said, there's much more that we can talk about. But I mentioned at the beginning that this weekend marks the Passover and also marks Easter, that many in the religious world will be celebrating Easter as they celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the religious world, they do this once a year on this day. So let's talk about a little bit with Easter. First, let's understand some things that, that we have uh, in translations of the text. In the New American Standard, in Acts chapter 12, you can turn there if you'd like, but I'm going to have the verses here on the screen. Acts chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. It says, When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now we've already established what time of the year this would be. As we said, Luke uses this date to help uh, anchor his narrative in the timeline. So he's saying this is the days of unleavened bread. And remember, it was the Passover that marked the beginning of that week. Reading further, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So this marks the time here that we're talking about, that this is the days of unleavened bread. And that's often synonymous with Passover. They're used interchangeably. But this is the time that we're talking about. This is the way the New American Standard and the New King James and many of the other modern translations render this. The Old King James uses a peculiar word when it renders this. We won't read all this, but down in verse 4, it says, And when he had apprehended him and put him in prison, they're already mentioned there, they were the days of the unleavened bread. And he says there, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now this is the only time that we see, only in this, this one verse where this word appears, and in the King James this is where it appears, and as I mentioned, other modern translations rightly render this word as Passover, because the word that's being rendered here is the word Pasha, which comes from the Greek, which indeed is always rendered, with one exception, as Passover. So, just a moment to, to talk about that. The Greek word here, Pasha, um, the Paschal sacrifice, which is accustomed to being offered for the people's deliverance out of Egypt. This is, this is the word. This is the, the term that is used here. This is the Greek word that describes that time, describes that event, and describes it as the Jewish holiday. This is the Paschal Supper, the Paschal Feast, and it's to take place on the 14th day of the first month extending to the 21st day of the month of Nisan. That's the exact time that this is to take place. It marks when the Israelites were um, led out of, uh, out of Egypt, and this was where they were told to, to slay the lamb, to put the blood on the doorpost. This, is all, this refers to that. This is what we're talking about here. The Greek word there is pasha. In the New Testament, this word pasha is translated in the New American Standard. We'll use this for one reference. It is, of the 29 times the Greek word Pasha appears, it is rendered as Passover 29 times. 
In the old King James of the 29 times that the word Pasha appears, it is rendered as Passover 28 times. And there's that one peculiar time here in Acts chapter 12 and verse 4 when it's rendered as Easter. Just a side note here, this is among the some, uh, over 800 words or phrases from the old King James that have significantly changed the meaning and are no longer in use. In other words, the old King James was, was a good translation, but there was errors in it. The new modern, more modern translations have more to draw on. They have better references of the old Greek scrolls and the old Greek texts. They have more of it to draw on. And they're also written in our everyday language. One of the things I say about kind of tongue-in-cheek about the old King James is you have to translate the translation. We just don't speak like that anymore. And this error has given rise to religious error that that has come forth and continues to this day. This is from a commentary from Adam Clark. He writes, uh, has written commentary a long time ago. Um, Very good. As a commentator, take it for what it is as a man's commentary. But it's especially good on outside things, things that aren't related or or directly in Scripture. But he does a good job of of pulling those things and helping us understand it. He takes this on, this, this idea about Easter. It says that this word is inserted here by the translators. And it refers to an old Saxon uh, uh, goddess of Easter. And there was a festival that was celebrated during the month of April. And so when the translators were translating that, and Passover usually would fall in April, they just inserted this word Easter for Passover as a, as a, as a marking of the date. And not necessarily what it signified, but a time of year. And he says this about it, and this is uh, akin to his style of writing, a very exemplary of his style of writing. Every view we can take of this subject shows a gross impropriety of retaining a name every way exceptionable and palpably absurd. It's a fancy way of saying that they just inserted this word really just to, to refer to the time of the year. And it really doesn't belong there. The word that's being translated is the Pasha. And that is Passover. That's why the newer translations render it such. So what does all this mean? Knowing the exact date and the error associated with Easter, are we then to to hold on to Easter? Are we then to hold on to the Passover? Are we to keep that, that religious holiday as we seek to serve Christ? Let's make a few points about that idea. First, let's understand that there is still that confusion uh, between Passover and Easter. And those who celebrate Easter celebrate it on a date that's independent of the Jewish calendar. God was very specific on the dates in which the Passover was to be observed. And those who are still holding on to the Jewish faith faithfully observe it on that same date every year. But amongst those who are holding to Easter, this is basically what Easter, it falls on a Sunday between March 22nd and April 25th, that's about a month, a little over, Um, within about seven days after the astronomical full moon, that's when Easter is to fall. And understand this, this is a timing that's been invented by men. 
We don't find anywhere in Scripture that timing that tells us to celebrate the Passover, let alone Easter. This is something that has been instituted by men. Nowhere in the New Testament, in the New Testament, are we told or an example approved or a conclusion inferred that we are to celebrate the Passover. The Passover is a part of the old law. We made that point very clear. It was instituted during the time of Exodus. We read there in Numbers about the Passover. It was then brought in to the law of Moses. It was kept as uh, one of the feast days from the Jewish customs. And it carried even into the New Testament, the days of our Lord, even into the days of Acts. And we see as the, the church is going forward and the gospel is spreading. But it was part of the old law. It was part of the law of Moses, which is no longer in effect as of the day of Pentecost, as of Acts chapter 2. We can see when the Lord's church was established. So let's look at a few passages here that help us to, to bolster this argument that the old law is no longer in effect. In Colossians 2 and verse 14, it says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt, talking about the old law, consisting of decrees against us, which are hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So we, we choose our words carefully in understanding that the old law has been fulfilled. It served God's purpose, but it has been fulfilled. In Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, coming on down there from verse 14, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or to a new moon, or Sabbath day. And note what he says here. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, what the substance belongs to Christ. You see, those things, and the Hebrew writer spends so much time talking about those things under the old law, those things were shadows. They weren't the objects themselves. They were a shadow of the things that were to come. And Paul says, those things, the substance belongs to Christ. They served their purpose. The children of Israel were expected to keep the old law. They were expected to keep the Passover. But when the law of Christ came in, those things were to be done away with. Those festivals, those celebrations. Now we only have one celebration that we partake in. And that's what we've already done here this morning. When we come together to celebrate the death of our Lord and remember him through the taking of the bread and the fruit of the vine. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, says, When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. So here's better language that we can see. The first covenant is obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul says this, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. In this passage, Paul is talking about the uniting of the Jew and the Gentile, and how under the old law, only Jews were children of God. 
And the law served to separate the Gentiles from the Jews. But when Jesus died, he put to death that enmity and made the two one, fulfilling the old law and ushering in the law of Christ. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus is our Passover, hopefully this makes a little more sense to us now in understanding what that means. Paul says that Jesus is our Passover. And by doing so, he brings to mind the sacrifice of our Lord and the salvation that it brings. We are told to remember this sacrifice. That is, the sacrifice of our Lord. That's the, the sacrifice we are told to remember. Not the Passover. Not the flight of the Jews out of Egypt. But we are to remember the sacrifice of our Lord on that day that he was crucified. We're not to keep the Passover. We're to keep the, the, the celebration that we, the memorial that we engage in, we're to keep that every first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we use that verse a lot. When Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem and he stops there in Troas so that he might worship with the brethren. And it says there that he was there on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Devin read from this morning, how Paul is recounting what God, or what Jesus had told him about taking of the Lord's Supper. It says, when you come together, he's speaking to the church there in Corinth. And we put those two together, they'd come together on the first day of the week to take the Lord's Supper. And it says there, as often as you do this, drink this, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. So that's what we do. That's the celebration that we engage in. And we do that every first day of the week. Because that's the example that we see. And that's what we can infer from God's word and understanding that this is an approved example of the disciples of Christ coming together on the first day of the week to remember the death of our Lord. And here's something else that we should understand about the Passover of our Lord. That is, our Passover has been slain once for all. So there's no longer any need for uh, the, the continued celebration of the Passover in, in, in understanding that Jesus has done it once for all. There's that, that idea of fulfilling the old law. In Hebrews chapter 7, Beginning of verse 26, the Hebrew writer says, It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. That's what the high priest did daily. They offered up the sacrifices for their sins and for the sins of the people. That was under the old law. This is speaking of the new law. Jesus, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he offered up himself as that sacrifice, and he did it once for all. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law 
appoints a son made perfect forever. So we no longer celebrate the Passover. We celebrate the death of our Lord. Not the flight out of Egypt. Not on the 14th day of the first month. But on the first day of every week. And so you can see how the confusion has grown over the years. But I hope this shows you from Scripture what our Passover is. Our Passover is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been sacrificed once for all. We no longer have the high priest standing in the temple offering the prayers or offering sacrifices for sinners. We have the avenue directly to our God to ask for forgiveness for our own sins. 1 John 1 1 and verse 9 tells us that. That if we sin, he is faithful and just to redeem us from those sins if we ask him to. This is what we celebrate, and we celebrate this every first day of the week to remember the death of our Lord and what that means to us, our salvation. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. To understand the sacrifice that was made for our sins. If as a child of God you've strayed from the truth and you have forgotten what it means and the the precious high cost that was paid for our sins, I encourage you to make those things right as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.